Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. On Amazon.com, there are 2,652 book titles regarding heaven, 10,304 for money, 16,765 for sex, but 30,066 for love. Love. It's a powerful word. Love can mean different things to different people, but it seems today that love is treated more like a recreational sport than a lasting commitment. Is it possible for most people to have never experienced true love? Love is an experience. Love is probably one of the most misunderstood and misused concepts in our culture. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Today we begin a brand new series entitled Experience, and we're excited to be bringing it to you. The first message in this new series is Experience the Love from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7-21. through 21. Next week, Palm Sunday, we're going to Experience the Cross, followed Easter week with Experience the Empty Tomb. And we'll finish the series with Experience the Transformation. It promises to be an exciting time of looking at God's Word and experiencing the power of His Word in our lives. With the love of God in me, the love of God comes out of me so that I can say in all honesty, I do this because I love you. Today, Pastor Clay is going to take us to 1 John to discuss what it's like to experience the pure love of God. As I said a moment ago, the world seems to have a lot of different ideas about what love is. But fortunately for us, we can look to God's Word and see what real love looks like and what it does to us. We're glad you've joined us. Here's Pastor Clay with today's encouraging message. Experience is a big deal in the culture in which we live today. There's so many different things that we can do, so many different experiences that uh, we can have. And, and most of us probably have, you know, uh, things that we would like to do, experiences that, that we'd like to have in our life before our life is over. Any y'all have any of those? Yeah, I think most of us probably do. You could call it a, a bucket list, you know, if, if you will. Um, I have at least one item on my bucket list um, of, a, of a fleshly uh, nature. I, I, I would love to play Augusta National one time before I, before I die. That would be nice. And even while I still have a swing that might uh, allow me to, to have some fun with it. But that's just, you know, I, I just think that would be a cool thing to do, to get to do that one time. If any of y'all have uh, any connections in that way, please feel free to give me a call. I would love to uh, beg you for that. <laughs> Uh, experiences. It's, you know, it's part of it. We're, we're starting a series today uh, on experiences, four weeks uh, to experience some, some different things. We're going to experience, uh, next week on Palm Sunday, we're going to experience the cross. We're going to look at the cross up close and, and the events that transpired there. And we're going to look at the empty tomb on Easter Sunday. And we're going to look at transformation and that sort of thing. Experiences are part of our life. Uh, I, you know, I, I have to confess this uh, because I am a grandparent. Um, grandparent, grandchild experiences are some of the coolest uh, experiences that uh, really I've ever experienced. Uh, they really are. I, um, uh, our oldest grandson, Wyatt, was sick a while back. He picked up this cough. And y'all ever get the cough you know, where, I mean, you're getting over the sickness, but that, that cough lingers on, you know, that scratch, kind of itch at the back of your throat, and you 
caught. You know what I'm saying? Y'all with me? Okay. <laughs> Snap out of it. Now, yeah, you get that kind of cough? Well, he kind of had that cough. And a while back, uh, Pam Young told us about this secret uh, ancient remedy that her mother, who is a, a registered nurse uh, and, and worked for many, many years as a registered nurse, had told her this. And I thought, you know, well, she's crazy. Um, but she said, if you've, got, if you've got that nagging cough and you can't get over that nagging cough, did y'all, and some of y'all may experience when you're kid, when you were a kid, did your parents like rub Vicks Vapor Rub on your chest? They do that? Yeah, that was nice. Um, but um, Pam's mom said, no, that doesn't work. If you want to get rid of that cough, rub Vicks Vapor Rub. Now, y'all going to laugh. This is what she said. I said, laugh at her, not me. But uh, rub Vicks Vapor Rub on your feet. Put it on your feet. And then, you know, you probably want to put socks on so you don't, you know, get Vicks all over your sheets. But um, I don't know, but you won't cough if you do that. So sure enough, I tried it and it, it worked. It was, it was amazing. It was unbelievable. So Wyatt picked up this cough. And um, so I came upstairs and I, Cindy was kneeling. He was sitting at the, at the table at this chair. And uh, she's getting out the Vicks Vapor Rub and she's putting it on his feet. And... Uh, you can just see, you know, he's like the wheels are just turning, you know. Okay, I'm coughing, and she's putting something on my feet. And uh, he gets this funny look on his face, and he says, that won't work. <laughs> that was funny. Uh, um, this week, uh, Dakota, our next grandson, came to, every, every day, if the grandkids, whatever grandkids are around, every day they'll come down to my office to get a Tic Tac. That's just like a ritual. Come get a Tic Tac from Poppy. Um, I am the keeper of the Tic Tacs. So uh, Dakota comes down and uh, he says, Papa, I want a Tic Tac. I said, okay. And he usually, if he comes by himself, he'll get one for Wyatt as well. And so he said, I, I, Wyatt wants one too. And I said, well, okay. So, <laughs> you know, I do two out in my hand. It's always, kids are funny. They're like, you know, is this one mine? I don't care. Tic, you, know. Uh, you know. So anyway, so he takes Tic Tac, puts it in his mouth. And he says, is this one Wyatt's? I said, that one's Wyatt's. And so he takes it, and the next thing I know, he sits down, and he's sticking the tic-tac between his toes. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, your brother's going to eat that. Which he probably knew. <laughs> experience. Love is an experience. Uh, love is probably one of the most misunderstood and misused concepts in our culture. I did a, a, just a kind of a word study, a, a word search a while back uh, to find out uh, something that I thought was pretty interesting on Amazon.com, uh, books with titles, I, I found this. I found that uh, on Amazon.com there were 2,652 book titles regarding heaven, 10,304 for money, 16,765 for sex, 18,818 for God had th- that word in it but 30,066 for love. Love is a concept that, uh, or it's a, it's, a, it's a part of our lives that, that most people are starving for. Now, um, some of you are aware that the New Testament uh, was originally written in Greek, in the Greek language. You could think of Greek, the Greek language back 2,000 years ago or so when this was, the New Testament was penned. You could basically think of Greek as sort of the English of its day. And what I mean by that is 
in, in the ancient world back then, you could go almost anywhere in the known world and you could find someone that spoke or read Greek in the same way that you can go pretty much anywhere in the world today and find someone that speaks or reads English. It was sort of the universal language of its day, which is why in God's providence, he waited for the penning of the New Testament until there was a universal language, so to speak, that could be, uh, could be taken to the far reaches of the known world at that time. Some of you have also heard me explain before that um, the word love in our English language, has a, a variety of meanings, used in a variety of ways. Uh, a wife, for instance, could, could say to her husband, do you want to make love? Well, she could. She might. <laughs> could happen. <laughs> uh, a wife could, could say that, could, could ask that question. Uh, first off, okay, she's like, some of you, I know wives, <laughs> it's like asking a fish if it wants to swim, you know, uh, but, but if, if she said that, she would mean, uh, do, do you want, she'd mean to her husband, do you want to get together in a, in a romantic or a sexual uh, way? But in Greek, they would have a specific word for that type of love, eros. Uh, I could say... Um, I could say I love my brother, Nate Jones. He's my brother from another mother, as many of you are. I could say that about many of you all in here. It's the same word. I've used the same word, but a very different meaning. The Greeks would have a different word for that. It would be philos. It would be a, a, a connected, a, a, a kind, a considered a, a brotherly kind of love. Same word in English, different word in Greek. A parent could say, I love my children, meaning that they have this natural connection, affection, um, family relation to them, this deep connection to them. Same word. The Greeks would have a different word. They would more than likely use storge, and it has this this specific meaning, pretty much specific meaning, of a family relation. The Greeks had one more word for love that you may be familiar with, agape. And agape, basically, my definition looks like this. Agape is an unconditional, unending, sacrificial love. It's a love that puts the other person ahead of you. It's a love that costs you something. It is that love that you and I are going to discuss today. It is that love that we have the opportunity to experience every day in our lives because it is that love that is the love of God, ladies and gentlemen. Now, none of those other Greek words for love, none of those other forms of love are wrong in and of themselves when, when, when applied within the parameters that God intended them to be. But I think that everybody could see, could look at that and understand that the last definition or the last aspect of love, that agape love, is the strongest. It is the purest. It is the most powerful form of love that there is. We have just finished a series uh, 
on the end time events and what Jesus had to say about that. And much within there, as, as if you were in here in that series, much of that dealt with this idea of, of what happens at the end and this judgment that is to come. And I thought it would be good to start this series today with just a kind of reminder of the love of God, this love that is unconditional, undeserving, unending. If you have a Bible with you, would you turn, please, this morning to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, we're going to be reading verses 7 through 21. 1 John is sometimes referred to as the love chapter. John, the disciple who wrote it, is often referred to as the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Love is a big deal to John. And in 1 John chapter 4, in the original manuscripts of Greek, you would find that it is agape, or some derivative thereof, that is used every single time in this text. So, here's what I'm going to do. As I read 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21, each time I come to the word love, I'm going to replace it with the word agape, because I want you to, un- to, to just kind of get your mind around that idea that it, is, that it is that kind of sacrificial, costly, unending love that we're talking about. In English, we might you have a variety of meanings, but John had a very specific meaning. 1 John chapter 4 this morning, beginning in verse 7. And I'm just going to kind of Englishize it rather than give you the different endings. But agape, let us agape one another. For agape is from God. And everyone who agapes is born of God and knows God. The one who does not agape does not know God. For God is Agape. By this, the agape of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is agape. Not that we agaped God, but that He agaped us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Agape. If God so agaped us, we also ought to agape one another. No one has ever seen God at any time. If we agape one another, God abides in us, and His agape is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the agape which God has for us. God is agape. And the one who abides in agape abides in God and God abides in him. By this, agape is perfected with us. So that... We may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in agape, but perfect agape casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected or completed in agape. We agape because he first agaped us. If someone says, I agape God and hates his brother, 
is a liar. For the one who does not agape his brother whom he has seen cannot agape God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who agapes God should agape his brother also. Experience pure love from a pure source. Verse 7 and 8 again. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. John starts out this section. By the way, it's been an abrupt change. See, we don't have time to go back and look at the first part of chapter 4, but if we did, we would see that in, in the early part of chapter 4, John is dealing with how we test the spirits and to know whether something coming into our life is from God or from, from, some, from some spirit or something like that. But then he makes this abrupt change in, chapter, in verse 7, and he begins to talk about this, this love of God that's been demonstrated to us. And one of the things that begins to come out about this love is that it is a, is that it is a pure love. It's a pure love that is, as we defined it a, a, a moment ago, unselfish, unending, undeserved, self-sacrificing kind of love. And he starts out in verse 7 and he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. He begins to lay out this idea, this reminder to us, and I'll have more to say about this in a moment, that, that, the, that the love of God has an impact on our lives. In verse 8, he says, the one who does not love does not know God. The one who loves does not know God. The one who does not agape, that kind of love, does not know God. As I said, I'll talk about this more in a minute, but... But right off the bat here, as John begins to transition into this, this discussion about love, one of the things that he brings out is that when, this, when you experience this kind of love in your life, when the love of God is experienced in your life, you, you, you're not the same. You, you can't be the same. It has to change you because it's a type of love that is so powerful, so impactful, that it, that it has to have a profound effect on you. And Why? Why? Because John says God is love. And if the love of God is in you, ladies and gentlemen, the love of God will come out of you. If God is in you, his love will come out of you. It, it, just, it just has to. You can't stop this kind of thing. It's too powerful. Now, I, I should point out, it's, it's important to, to understand that it would be wrong to, to say that the, that the love of God um, trumps all of the other attributes of God. It would be wrong to say that, and some people would put it this way, that, well, God is love, so, that, so then love is God. No, that's, that's not the same thing. It would be wrong to say that God's love trumps all of his other attributes. For instance, God's love does not cancel out God's holiness. As a matter of fact, God's love and God's holiness actually work in perfect unity and perfect symmetry in our lives. So that, for instance, when God commands us to live holy lives, as he does in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, chapter 11, verse 45, chapter 19, verse 2, Chapter 20, verse 26. Chapter 21, verse 8. And then culminating in 
Peter kind of sums it up. First Peter chapter 1, verse 16, where he basically kind of sums up everything that he says in, in Leviticus. He says, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. When, when God charges us or commands us or gives us that, God has that desire on our life that we would live lives that would come out from a life of sinfulness, that we would move away from a life that would be considered sinful, that it is because of his love that he does that. Do you understand what I'm saying here? That it is because God knows that sin damages, hurts our lives. So, for instance, if, when, when, when God says that, that sex outside of marriage or, or homosexuality or racism or, or stealing or gossip or whatever else that he might say is sinful behavior, when God says that, he does not say that because he's some sort of cosmic killjoy that wants to ruin everybody's party and wants to keep people down and wants to keep people from living the life that they want to live. That, that's like saying that a parent that doesn't allow their child to play with a loaded gun is just trying to keep them under their thumb and they're trying to keep their child from, from having, having fun. Do you, do you understand the insanity of that argument? And yet that is the very argument that you will hear at times. Oh, uh, yeah, your, your God is just a God that just, he, he just wants to, to keep me from living the life that I want to live. He doesn't want to let me do the things that I want to do and, 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 and I don't know how you can believe in a God that, that would be that way. And I say, no, no, God loves me enough to say to me, Clay, don't, don't do this. Clay, don't go here. Clay, don't move into that direction because there is pain, there is suffering, there is heartache, there is hurt, there are consequences if you go in this direction. And God loves me enough to say don't do that. And so this, this love of God clearly comes from this pure source because God is himself pure and he brings pure love to us. When I was in Kenya... Um, one of the things I noticed was that uh, all of the people in the village where we were working, all of the people had to walk men, uh, several miles. They had to walk to their source of water. And they would have to carry buckets and oftentimes bu- buckets or, or whatever all they carried them in of water they would place on their heads. The women were amazing how they could do that or they'd have to carry buckets like that, children oftentimes. And they would have to walk miles to the source to get water. Now the tragedy of this story is that the source where they got their water from was the same source in which they washed their clothes, the same source in which they washed themselves, the same source where the cows and animals would come and drink from. Now, as you can imagine, that caused some problems. The people drinking that water would oftentimes get some type of uh, intestinal diseases. And sometimes people died from it because they were getting their water from an impure source. I honestly believe that sometimes people in this world, many people in this world, have never experienced true love in their life because they've never been to the pure source of love. They've never been to the one who loves them absolutely unconditionally. I don't know what your situation was like growing up or if you're growing up now. I, I, I don't know if, if love has been demonstrated in your home, that kind of love has been demonstrated in your home. I don't know if you were given that kind of love if you grew up. 
But a lot of people in this world have grown up in a situation where love is always conditional, where love is always based on performance, and love is based on whatever they can do. And, and lots of people are looking for love. As I said, there's a lot of ideas of love in this, in this culture in which we live. Lots of people are looking for love, but as the old country song goes, they're looking for love in all the wrong places. To find pure love, pure love, you have to go to the pure source. And that source is God. Here's another idea about that pure love. You can experience pure love with or because it has a pure motive. I want to read verse 9 and 10 to you again. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 9 and 10 are, I think, two of the most beautiful and powerful verses in all of God's Word. Verse 9 answers a, a how and a why question. The how question is, how, how, how does it come to us? How does this How does this pure source of love come to us? I mentioned a moment ago that the people in Kenya, in the village where we were working, they had to go to the, it was an impure source, but they had to go to that source to get the water that they needed. You and I can't go to the pure source of love for the very reason that it is a pure source. God is pure. He is holy. He is perfect. He was without sin. And you and I are not. We are imperfect. We are unholy at times. We are sinful and our very sin keeps us from approaching God. So what does God do? God, the source of pure love, the one who provides it for us, this very God who is himself pure and holy and sinless, takes on flesh and comes to earth and personally hand delivers This pure source of love to our lives so that we can have pure love in our lives. Boy, that's a really good place to say amen. And why? Why does he do this? What could possibly be God's motivation for going through all that he went through? What could possibly be God's uh, reason why he would do all this? Did you see it? It's it's right there in the text in the latter part of verse 9. So that we might live through him. Now that's a good place to say, shut up. Are you telling me that God would love me so much that he would, he would deliver this pure love to me without any motivation for himself, without any need that we could meet in his life, without any, any uh, thought that we in some way would fulfill some need in God's life? No, that he would just love us that much And that he would desire for us to have love the way he actually designed for us to have it. And the way so few people actually do have it. Life, life more abundant. Life built on, based in, and overflowing with this love of God that comes into me through his sacrifice and comes out of me as a result of what he has done in my life. It's an absolutely pure motive. As verse 10 says, can I have verse 10? In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son for the propitiation. Propitiation is just a big word, folks. His his basic definition, how I'm defining it. Propitiation just means Jesus paid the bill that you and I couldn't. That's really what it means. 
Jesus paid the bill that you and I couldn't pay. That's basically what the word means. That it was too high a cost, it was too great a cost. And because we were sinful, we couldn't pay that bill. I, I love the, uh, this text I, I came across from the uh, translation. It says, he himself is a propitiation for our sins, not for us only, but also for those of the whole world. It's the only other place, by the way, that this word shows up in the New Testament. Only two times, or both in First John. Not only for us, but for the whole world. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean that the entire world will come to know God. It doesn't mean the entire world will be saved. Because, as I understand it, that, that payment, that propitiation, has to be appropriated into each person's life by faith. It's a decision that each person has to make personally, on their own. Nobody can make it for you. No, you can't just be born into it. You can't just go up in the church and automatically just becomes a part of it. No, it's a decision that each person has to make to have that, that propitiation, that payment for our sins. This... Uh, Christian commentary I came across said this about the Greek word halasmas, which translated propitiation. The halasmas was regarded as nullifying the action which caused the rift between the deity and the individual. It's what the word meant in, in classical Greek. That's exactly, ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. Do you understand that? What caused the rift between us and holy God was our own sinfulness. And to solve the dilemma, God himself came down and provided the, the halasmas, the propitiation, the payment for our sins so that we might have a relationship with him. That's really probably a good place to give a Ric Flair, whoo! Sorry, if you're a guest here, I'm not trying to be irreverent, but it's just, just exciting to think about this kind of love that God offers to us. John Oxenham wrote a poem many years ago. It goes like this. Love ever gives, forgives, outlives, and ever stands with open hands. And while it lives, it gives, for this is love's prerogative to give and give and give. It's an absolutely pure motive. The Bible scholar John Stott said these powerful words, only one act of pure love unsullied by any taint of ulterior motive has ever been performed in the history of the world. Namely, the self-giving of God in Christ on the cross for undeserving sinners. That's you and me. That is why if we're looking for a definition of love, we should look not in a dictionary, but at Calvary. Absolutely no motive other than he desired for us to have a relationship with him and have life that we can have. That's a pure motive. People may have mistreated you in your life. People may have, have put conditions on the love that they've given to you. God puts no conditions. And he has no ulterior motive in this in that he just simply wants you to have the life that he wants you to have. Now, I don't care what you're going through in life. I don't mean I don't care. But what I mean is whatever you might go through in life, that thought, if you can get your mind around that thought that God would love me that much, if you can get your mind around that thought, ladies and gentlemen, it should be a source of great strength and power and peace in my life. That no matter what is going on or no matter what happens or what other people do to me, God loves me just because. There's one other idea to share with you this morning. Experience pure love with a pure result. I won't read all those verses again that picks back up in 
verse 11, but it comes back to that idea that he, that he first brought up in verse 7. And when he says in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. By this, verse 13, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. If the spirit of God abides in me, if I know Jesus as Savior, his word teaches me that God's spirit abides in me. If God is love, and if God's spirit abides in me, then what comes out of me will be what? This isn't tough. This isn't a trick question. What will come out of me will be love. Love. Now, certainly there are other aspects of the fruit of the spirit that Paul mentions in Galatians chapter 5. But certainly love. Agape, remember, we're not talking about any kind of love. Agape love, self-denying, self-sacrificing, unending love will come out of me as a result of that because the Spirit of God is in me. That has to. That's what I said earlier. It has to. And, and John's very much a, a practical guy about this. He says in, uh, in verse 20, if, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He's a liar. I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but basically John says... Are you going to sit there and tell me that you won't love a person who you can see, but you'll love a God that you can't see? You're a liar. Pretty powerful stuff. And, and by the way, when he talks about loving your brother, and that's really, he's not just talking about family, okay? That's a given. You wouldn't even need to write about that. You're supposed to love your family, although they don't always make it easy, amen? They don't always make it easy. But that's a given. Of course, you're supposed to love your family. But it's another thing to love those that aren't always as loving. It's another thing to love those that aren't always as lovely. It's, it's another thing to love some person who, who has a different belief system than you or a different skin color than you or is your boss or is a sorry co-worker or a, a student that bullies you. It's another thing to love someone like that. And yet that is the love that should be manifested or produced in our lives if the love of God abides within us. Uh, probably not many of you in here are students of history, but in 1917 in Russia, the Orthodox Church leaders were meeting together. And while they were meeting, they got into this protracted argument, fighting, feuding. I know, go figure, right? Church people fighting. At the same time this meeting was going on, down the street, a group known as the Bolsheviks were meeting. And they were meeting to plot to overthrow the czar or the, the Russian monarchy. And the revolution, what we know as communism, started in Russia while the church was fighting amongst themselves. And do you know what they were fighting over? Are you ready for this? Whether the candles in the church should be 18 inches long or 22 inches long. Listen, the church, the, the body of believers for far too long, has not exhibited the love of God in a way that would have an impact on the world. This church cannot be that way. The love of God has to be manifested among ourselves, among each other, and out into the world around us. When I was in Sri Lanka a few years ago, some of you were on that trip doing some, some humanitarian work after the tsunami came through and, and did so much damage to that island nation. One of the questions that I got 
was, why, why, why would you do this? Why would you all come all the way over here and do this? They probably didn't say y'all, but why, why, would you, why would you do this? Why would you spend your money? Why would you take time away from your family, away from work, fly all the way over here to do this back-breaking, hot, sweaty work? Why would you help us rebuild our homes? And why would you help us rebuild our nation? Why would you do that? That was an easy answer. The love of God. The love of God compels me to love you. You and I should experience the love of God in our lives and display the love of God to those around us. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's downright hard. But the power of God, and by the way, that's the only way you can do it, the power of God manifesting or creating this love in you. If you try and love people in your own strength, that'll last about five minutes because they will tick you off in a minute. But with the love of God in me, the love of God comes out of me so that I can say in all honesty, I do this because I love you. It's experiencing the love of God. The pure, unearned, undeserved, cost me something love. That's God's love. Thanks, Pastor, for that powerful reminder of the pure love of God. I love that quote Pastor Clay had in his message today from the Bible scholar John Stott. If we are looking for the definition of love, we should look not in the dictionary, but at Calvary. How true that statement is. In next week's message, Pastor Clay is going to be taking a closer look at the cross. But in this week's message, from 1 John, we're reminded of the cost God paid in order for us to experience His love. As Pastor Clay said today, you can't come into contact with that love and not be changed by it. Have you experienced God's love? We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.